Encounter Church. How are y'all doing today? You good? Yes? Wonderful. I hope that you're having a great weekend. Uh, my name's Joe. I get the privilege of pastoring our Fulton Heights location. Shout out to our friends at Fulton Heights. Uh, I am excited to continue a series that we've been doing called Priorities over the last couple weeks. Dirks has been leading us through this obscure Old Testament book talking about how easily the urgent things in our life override the important things in our life. And looking at uh, the middle, the Hebrew people in the middle of a crumbled city, this thing that had mattered so much to them, now in ruins, and they're looking around at this thriving temple that has just collapsed. And they're looking for hope in the middle of their despair. And just a couple weeks ago, uh, we had the privilege, my wife and I went to Detroit, and I felt like I got just a little bit of a glimpse of that. Raise your hand if you've been to downtown Detroit a couple, couple times in the last couple of years, maybe see a good game or a concert, yeah? You've been to Detroit, you've seen what I've seen, a city of contrasts, uh, beauty next to ruins, like history next to just empty, barren fields. And it's a crazy thing to observe. You drive down Woodward and it's this thriving place and then you go a little bit further out and you're trying to like piece together the shell of what once was. Um, and this is important to me because I grew up on the east side of the state. Like I was born in the suburbs, but my family are Detroit people. My, both my grandparents were raised in downtown Detroit. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I took my grandfather to a Tigers game, and after the game, we drove around the city, and he pointed out all of these places that were significant to him growing up. We drove down the street that he grew up on. We drove past his old high school. He pointed places in downtown where he would hang out with his friends. He pointed this, um, this corner. It, was, it used to be an old jazz club where my grandmother would sing uh, when she was younger. Drove down Woodward and he pointed out where the riots of 68 impacted the city. And I got to see how his history was played out in this place. Got to see how much this city meant to him. And although the city is rebuilding today, many areas, as you might know, are still just a shell of what they once were. And so my wife and I, we just stayed in uh, this little boutique hotel off of Woodward. And it was a building that was built in 1926 to be the Wurlitzer Music Building. And in that building, they sold massive theater pipe organs and jukeboxes and pianos. And at its time, it was known as one of the largest music stores in the world. But times change, right? After years and years of decline and ownership changing hands, uh, the building was purchased in the mid-90s with the hopes of renovating it to its previous glory. But as you can imagine, the work was expensive and time-consuming, and it never really got off the ground. The property declined year over year. It became dangerous, where parts of the brick from the upper floors were actually falling off. 
And the neighbor recounted that when he would take out the trash, he would have to wear a construction hard helmet so that bricks wouldn't hit him. But in 2015, the property was purchased by a developer with the hopes of full renovation, a commitment to a full restoration, and it was launched at that time. And in 2018, a boutique hotel was put in its place. And you can see today in the lobby a section of the original ornate plasterwork in the ceiling as a reminder of the building's past. In 90 years, 90 years, a building went from renown to ruins and to restoration. How does that happen? It doesn't happen overnight to go from something that's renowned to something that's crumbling and in ruins. It happens slowly, often. And our life and our life of faith can be similar. What was once thriving can stall. What was once impressive can become insignificant. But what do you do when the thing that was important to you has crumbled? What do you do when the life that you've lived is in ruins? Maybe your career path was all set and you've invested years and years into building this career, but as people have come in and new bosses have come in and set new agendas and relationships aren't what they once were. Trust has been eroded and you're wondering how long you might have at your job. And if that's the case, what options are out there for you next? Maybe your financial picture once looked solid. It was secure But as the economy has shifted over the last few months, you're starting to see the cracks in what felt secure and it's not what you hoped it would be. Maybe the relationship that you've built. It was the one that all the friends looked at as they had something special. But the sturdiness of that relationship has began to crumble and the person that you have committed your life to You're not quite sure you can trust anymore and you feel like you're walking around in the ruins of your relationship. And just maybe it's your life of faith. Faith that once mattered so much. Faith that was thriving, inspired by God's word. A prayer life that was alive, Love to gather together to worship. You, you loved to serve. But that light has begun to flicker. Maybe your faith feels mechanical or it feels very, very distant. And if it does feel like you're walking around in the ruins of the life that you once lived, God's word shares both Comfort and challenge to us from a surprising place. A book written over 2,500 years ago, just two chapters long, that God's people are called to respond to the ruins of their life and to take action. 
So if you have a Bible with you, if you have a phone with you, you want to open up an app, go to the book of Haggai. I'm sure it's very easy to find. You can use the table of contents. If you don't have that, you can uh, use the screens behind me. The scriptures will be up there. But Haggai is the prophet who spoke spiritual truth to the leaders and the people of Jerusalem after 50,000 of them returned back to Jerusalem from Babylonian exile. The nation of Babylon, the army, captured the city, destroyed the walls, including the temple, which had been this magnificent home of God's presence for generations. And it was the center of the culture of the people. And it was destroyed in 586 B.C. And for 50 years, this group of people were living in a foreign land, waiting waiting to return. It was their greatest hope, it was their greatest prayer that they could return to their homeland and rebuild the temple that meant so much to the people. And within a year of returning back to Jerusalem after just miraculous events took place, after working with celebration, working together to begin to rebuild the foundations of the temple, By Haggai's time, the work had stalled. It was not complete. In fact, the people had invested much of their time excessively updating their own homes and neglecting their spiritual life. And it's with that background that Haggai says this, chapter 1, verse 4. Is it a time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Take stock. Take a look. You're not prioritizing correctly. Your priorities are in the wrong place. The simple instructions are given, and you might remember this if you were here when Dirk talked about it. Haggai says do three things. Go up to the mountains. Go up to the hills. Bring down lumber, bring back timber, and work. Go up, bring down, and build. Get to work. And the people hear this instruction. They hear this calling out. And they actually respond with a great deal of humility because they know that their lives have not been working. They know that their hopes and prayers have not been realized and that they've been going down the wrong path, that their priorities have been misplaced. It just couldn't be denied. When their hearts were not directed towards God, even their best attempt at honoring and obeying him was falling short. It felt like half-hearted efforts of obedience. And the results were often spoiled. Their work felt like toil. And their souls were unsettled. Their souls were discontent. And through the challenge of Haggai's words, and the text says, through a stirring of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, they begin to work. They went up to the hills. They brought down lumber, and they began to build. The futility of their lives outside of this greater purpose and their effort to build something meaningful on their own attempt was falling short until they turned their hearts to God. 
And when they changed their hearts, as a result of their heart change, they started to work. It's, it's as if right action flowed out of a right heart. And they worked on the temple. They, they started working for one month. It was like a new project. Do you ever have a new project that you're super fired up about at the beginning? You feel like a team is unified, momentum is high, morale is up, high fives, whistling. Like they're doing it every day. They set their tools out. They're making progress until, (laughs) until they actually like take a second to step back and they look at the amount of progress that they have and it's super disheartening. They look back, it's like that, you know, move that bus moment. They move, and they move, and it's just crickets, because it's like a couple bricks that are like piled on top of each other, and they look around, they're like, this is not what we hoped. And there's actually people in that group of 50,000 that were present in Jerusalem, that worshipped at that temple. They remember the opulence. They remember how magnificent it was. And they start to weep. Because everything that they had had was so good. But where they were today, man, it's not great when the before picture is better than the after picture. And that's what they're feeling now. But they forget that the previous temple took seven years to build. Seven years of thousands of people working tirelessly to make this thing Beautiful. And the discouragement sets in. You ever have that? You're so discouraged, you're like, I just shouldn't even keep going at this. We should just give up. And it's in that moment that Haggai steps forward with a word of encouragement. In verse 4 of chapter 2, he says this. Be strong. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Be strong and work, for I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when I came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. So to recap the recap, God basically says, after they've been working for a bit, so, uh, yeah, like, how's the work going, guys? Uh, it's not, it's not going well, is it? Doesn't look great. It isn't what you hoped. But that's okay. That's okay because I am with you. Since your hearts have turned back to me, I will continue to bless you. I won't withhold my presence. I won't turn my face away from you. I am with you. And he reminds them of the promise that he actually made when he set them free out of Egypt and he promised to be with them. And Exodus chapter 29 says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know, they will know that I am the Lord who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them, so that I would give them my presence. And that is why the temple is so significant, that it's the symbol of God's presence in their midst. So God is saying, hey, even though the the bricks of the temple are scattered on the ground, 
Even though the temple is not there, I am still with you. You don't need those walls to have my presence. My presence is with you if you turn your heart to me. But it can, it can still be discouraging. It can still be discouraging to expect this beautiful building, these grand walls, and just to see a foundation on the ground scattered. And I, I don't want to miss the moment to connect with this metaphor because I think you might be feeling that. You might be feeling that, man, if I'm honest, the walls of my faith have crumbled. Like, I grew up in a Christian home, I've committed myself to Christ, but if I'm honest, it's really just a foundation with not much else on top. I haven't maintained that in a while. Maybe for you, it's simply distraction. You know, new things come up in your life, exciting things, things that get your attention, things that capture your heart. And you become distracted from the commitments that you've made to Jesus. Or maybe it's discouragement. We've all faced those moments where our faith is tested, where things of our heart are demanded and we don't feel like we can step up and deliver, where life gets difficult. And sometimes the walls of our faith are are pushed over because of that discouragement. It might be for you doubt, disbelief, deconstruction. Maybe it feels like the faith that once was clear and confident for you, those pieces don't really fit together the way they once did. And it feels like faith has just kind of gotten away from you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my family, we, uh, we were up north, you know, doing a cottage, camping, and, and we decided to rent a pontoon boat. I tried to find the cheapest boat I could find, and it, we found it. It was, <laughs> it was not dangerous. Whatever, like, one step above dangerous boat is, it was that. Uh, and we, we, the goal was just to hang out on a lake and have fun, and so we explored, we drove this pontoon around. Um, I crashed it several times, but it's Okay. Uh, and the, we were just like, just swimming. We brought this uh, really cheap, gigantic inner tube. We probably got it for like five bucks. And, and we were just like jumping in the water and we'd go find another spot and we'd swim. And like the inner tube was used for all sorts of purposes. Uh, sometimes we were diving through it, sometimes just chilling. But at one point we noticed that like uh, someone was on the inner tube, but then they weren't. And then it just started to like float. And we're like, oh, okay, because throughout the day, like, the wind had picked up, the current had kind of picked up, and uh, my son, who's like, oh, I'll just grab it, so he just jumps in and starts swimming, and, like, halfway to it, the inner, the inner tube is now, like, five, you know, it's very far, whatever five is, that many, it's that many away, and he, like, looks back, he's like, I, I don't have this, and that's when dad is like, what, I got this, I mean, I, I, I can swim, like, I can swim in a pool, I can swim in a lake, so I jump in, and the same thing happens to me. Like, I get, like, a little bit out there. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, this is not happening. Yeah. We're saying goodbye to the inner tube. And really, it just, it just got away from us. The wind, the current, with all of our effort, with all of our hope, with all of our intention, we could not match the difficulty of our surroundings. And the same thing happened to the people. 
The work that they had begun in earnest had fizzled. Adversity appeared. Momentum had slowed. Distractions set in their plans for following God. Got further and further and further away. The wind and the current picked up. So what do the people do? Well, I'll tell you what the people do. They do the same thing that my kids did. Right there. Hey, Dad, we, like, we got to get the inner tube. Like, it's, it's a very nice inner tube. And it was, it was only four bucks. But, uh, and you're like, yeah, okay, we'll go get the inner tube. So we drive the boat, we go pick up the inner tube, and that is what we did. But when the, my children look at me and say, Dad, Dad, we've got to get the inner tube. It's just a small glimpse of the same idea when the people turn their hearts and direct their hearts to God. Because... It doesn't highlight the people's plans, the people's hopes. It highlights the faithfulness of a gracious and generous God. And this is how God responds to their hearts that are guided back to him. Chapter 2, verse 18. From this day on, now that you've turned your hearts to me, from this day on, the 24th day of the ninth month, that's how significant it is. We're going to mark the actual day. Remember where you were on the 24th day of the ninth month. Give careful thought to the day when the foundations of the Lord's temple were laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Today. Because you've turned your heart back to me, I will bless you. The New Living Translation says this. Listen to what it says. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain or your grapes or your figs, or your pomegranates. Your olive trees have not yet produced their crops, but from this day onward, I will bless you. God is saying, you haven't even done the work yet. You haven't even done the work yet, but because I have your heart, my promise is real, and my promise is coming. The seed is still in the barn. I don't need that. I'm powerful and faithful enough that I will give you my blessing if I have your heart. And I think that Haggai shows us that guiding our heart towards God is better than planning to do something great for God. Guiding our heart toward God is better than planning to do the right thing for God. And we know it. We make the plans to to rescue the inner tube. We make the plan. I, I plan to call my mom. I do. I plan to call her. But stuff like busy, busy stuff happens, fun things. I, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, we plan to pay the parking ticket on time. We plan to start exercising. We plan, we plan, we plan. And this is mostly true in our life of faith, isn't it? Haggai knows that guiding our heart toward God is stronger than planning to do the right thing for God. Why? Because sin is sticky. Sin is stickier than like our best intentions. It's better, it's stronger than our best plans. 
And because life gets difficult, because the wind picks up, because the current moves things far away than what we had hoped. And we all struggle to prioritize the important over the urgent. But, but Jesus promises to restore the ruins. Jesus promises to restore the ruins of our lives. How do I know that? He says himself. He said, for the Son of Man, talking about him, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The word lost there means ruined, wasted, destroyed, devastated, trashed. And the word saved simply means to restore, to recover, or to make well. Just like, just like the renovated hotel in Detroit, Jesus rebuilds our lives from the ruins. And I want you to hear this. Whether the ruins in your life were created by you, and you own it, and you know it, like this is my doing, or the ruins in your life were at the hand of someone else, or the ruins in your life were just because we live in a broken an evil world. Jesus promises to seek and to save the lost in your life. And he also promises to use the ruins to build something in and of you that's beautiful. He promises to use those, those crumbled walls to build something in your life that's strong and beautiful again. And it will benefit others when our heart is guided towards God. The beauty of what we have in Jesus is a living temple, right? God said, we don't need the temple. I'll give you my presence. And he gives it to us in Jesus. It's more than a symbol. We have the real thing, God dwelling in us through Jesus. John chapter 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, made his tabernacle, his presence among us. So when we guide our hearts towards God, but how? How do we do that? How do you guide our hearts towards God? I would just invite you to start with your heart. Start with your heart every day, every morning. Dirk talked about this a little bit last week. He mentioned that his plan every morning, first thing, is to open his Bible app on his phone. And he knows if he opens anything else, it's not going to go the way he intended. So the effort, the work to guide his heart towards God starts with the Bible app. For you, it might be going on a walk. It might be a prayer of dependence or confession might be um, removing the distractions of the day, journaling, prayer for guidance. For, for me, it's similar, uh, similar to Dirk. I, uh, every morning I wake up, usually before my family, I get a cup of coffee, I find the same couch, and I look out into my backyard, and I work to align my heart and my plans to God's plans. When I was younger, I really did a lot of effort to say, hey, God, can you like, take care of my plans? 
Um, and now I'm, I'm focusing more on how I can match my plans to meet God's. And the other thing is I start with my heart, but I'm committing to starving my distractions. I want to start with my heart, but I want to starve my distractions. For me, it is. It's Instagram, and I don't know how this happened. I don't know when this took place, but those reels, it's just like a vortex of time. It gets me. Thank you for shaking your head. I feel so seen right now. It's really important to me. So I delete, I delete the app. Every now and then i got to do something for work on Instagram, and I have to reinstall it, and then I like, catch up with my friends, and then, then the next morning I'm, I have to delete it again because I need to starve my distractions. Because when I'm not careful, the priorities that I've put in place, those just, they get commandeered. They get taken over by a million things. The reason that I want you to start with your heart is because we all know that the urgent overrides the important, that sin is stickier than our best plans. Because Jesus promised to redeem our efforts to restore the ruins when our hearts are right. In this great book called Atomic Habits, James Clear uh, advises the best way to start lifelong change is to ask the question, what would someone who's good at this do? I love that. What would someone who's good at this do? If I want to be creative, what would a creative person do? If I want to, you know, um, if I want to be disciplined, what would a disciplined person do? In order to get healthy, he simply offers, ask yourself, what would a healthy person do? Would a, what would a healthy person order? What would a healthy person do at the gym? And start doing those things. Start small. Take action towards your goal. That's how habits are built. And similarly in faith, what would someone who's building a strong life of faith do? And do that thing. What would a person whose heart is guided towards God do now? Jesus says, quoting the book of Isaiah, let these people... These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honor me with the things they say, with the things they sing, but in reality, their hearts have grown distant, like the inner tube. They have have drifted away from me. My prayer for you, my prayer for our church is that would not be true about us. That our hearts would not be drifting, but that we would be guiding our hearts towards Jesus. Uh, Apollo 13, naturally, where you thought I was going. Uh, Apollo 13, the movie, is based on the story of a failed moon landing and the heroic effort to bring the damaged spacecraft home. In the film, the crew experiences a mechanical failure that not only eliminates the chance of landing on the moon, but it threatens their ability to return back to Earth. And in an amazing sequence, the ground crew in Houston troubleshoots ways to stretch their remaining oxygen supply and ensure that they have enough electricity to power up their module to return back to Earth. And they do this by ruthlessly eliminating non-essential components and sequencing those components in such a way that they can remain below this like threshold of 20 amps. If you remember the movie, it was like, 20 amps, we've got to get below 20 amps. And they kept trying all of these things to prioritize what was most important so that they could get to where they wanted to go. If they couldn't prioritize, if they couldn't sequence it right, they would be lost. And the same is true for us. We don't have unlimited supply. We don't have the ability to say yes to everything we want. 
And if we do, there will be a day when we're standing among the ruins of the thing that mattered to us, of the life we hoped for. And to prevent that, we guide our hearts towards Jesus. We start with our hearts and we starve our distractions. Do you think that this week you could commit to small actions to guide your heart toward God? Do you think you could commit to start with your heart daily and to starve the distractions that keep you from guiding your heart towards God? I hope we can together. Because when we do, we will see that Jesus is there and ready to restore. He's ready to restore. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful that you are the one who works tirelessly to seek and to save the lost, the wasted, the devastated, the destroyed, and you are the one who restores. And we need your power of restoration. We need your grace. We need your presence in our midst. So God, we commit ourselves to you fresh today and ask that you would do what only you can do in our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience Join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.